right, welcome back to From Aid Arbitration. First off, I want to say uh, thank you so much to Mr. Ashley for coming on and putting on two fantastic episodes. Both of those episodes are extremely important, extremely necessary, and I hope that y'all gained a lot from that. I know that I did. He's, he's a fantastic speaker and teacher, and I'll definitely have him on again. We've done a lot of things together as far as joint statement type things, and we'll tell you our stories on that uh, in a later episode, but that is extremely informative and probably the highlight of my union career is things that we've done in a joint statement cases where we've had to go in with management that's decided they're going to be a tyrant and a bully and a monster to our brothers and sisters. So we'll have that story for y'all later on. I really appreciate Jay, appreciate him coming up here and giving y'all two fantastic episodes. So I hope y'all enjoyed that. Today, we're going to talk about Article 16.7, Emergency Procedure or Emergency Placement. At first glance, when you look at Article 16.7, it, it's the lowest quantum of proof necessary of anything in Article 16. Management only has to have an allegation to implement 16.7, which is the lowest quantum of proof required. It's an allegation. You don't have to have any kind of definitive proof. It's just an allegation. But there are a lot of things in 16.7 that we miss, things that we have to start doing a better job of finding and bringing out through our contentions. And that's what I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you the numerous things as far as Article 16.7 is concerned that we can bring out in contentions to defend our brothers and sisters better. Uh, the first thing you think about when you think about Article 16.7 is what? Immediate. That's the first thing. Uh, that's, that's 101 as far as 16.7. It has to be immediate. Everybody knows that. Now, management can twist that. And they can try to manipulate that by saying we, it was immediate. It was immediately after we gave an investigative interview. Or it was immediately after he drove back and cleared all this stuff and put his mail away and all that. It was immediately after that. Or it was immediately after he went home and came back the next day. And when he came back the next day, we took him into the office and said, hey, you know, you had this accident yesterday, so we're putting you immediately off the clock. Management tries to do that a lot. That's not immediate. And arbitrator Mittenthal, he tells us exactly what he means as far as immediate. And this is National Arbitrator Mittenthal in C10146. That's the case number 10146. It's A and B. And here's our National Arbitrator Mittenthal. He's defining what that means, immediate, okay? Here's what he says. When the emergency procedure in Section 7 is properly invoked, the employee is immediately placed on non-duty, non-pay status. He does not have a right to remain for any period of time on the job or on the clock at the option of the employer. He suffers an instant loss of pay. In short, the pay protection in Section 4 or 5 is negated by Section 7. That's as clear language as you will ever get about immediacy. He suffers an instant loss of pay. So if management tries to manipulate that in any way by saying, well, you know, we had to find out more because we had to, you know, so we had to do this investigative interview. Nothing bull. That's not, that's not how 16-7 works. It's an allegation. Okay? So 
That's the very first part. It has to be immediate. National Arbitrator Menthol has just told you, has just defined for you what that means. When we first get an emergency placement letter or a carrier's been put off the clock, that's what we'll look for. Was this action done immediately? And also, was the carrier notified that he was being placed on emergency placement? We find this a lot, especially in my district. Management come out, you know, give me your keys, give me this. You know, when you get back, go ahead and clock out, go on home. Well, that's, that's not putting me on emergency placement. You have to tell me that I'm on emergency placement. When I get the notification letter four or five or six days later saying you were placed on emergency placement on this date, that, that doesn't qualify. I need to be told at the scene or wherever it happened, hey, Corey, hey, give me your keys. They're going to come get you. I'm putting you on emergency placement. That's putting me on emergency placement. But this, hey, go on back, clock out, go home. We're going to tell you what we're going to do later. That's not putting me on emergency placement. You have to tell me I'm being put on emergency placement. So I always ask the carrier, you know, when he gets back, when you call or whatever, and he says, all right, what happened? Well, they came out to the scene of the accident. They told me to give them their keys and somebody's going to come get me. Well, who told you it was on emergency placement? Well, nobody told me I was on emergency placement. They just, just told me to clock out and go home. So at no time anybody at the scene told you you're on emergency placement. No, they just told me to go back and go home. Raise that contention. Make that contention. Management never told us we were on emergency placement. Okay, so that's the first thing. It has to be immediate, and somebody has to notify me I'm on emergency placement. Here's some other big ones, and this is the language right below that box on 16.7. This is what it says. The purpose of Article 16.7 is to allow the Postal Service to act immediately, we just covered that, to place an employee in an off-duty status in the specified emergency situations. And that emergency is in quotations because it has to be an emergency situation. Management wants to make everything an emergency situation. That's not the case. We have to start addressing that. Arbitrator Duda, D-U-D-A, in C number 24822, he addresses this very thing in his decision. And this is where a carry was found to not have a seatbelt on and making a U-turn. And this is one of my sticklers here in my, in my installation. They always want to do these stupid safety blitzes, and they're going to come out and try to catch you without your seatbelt on, and they're going to put you on emergency placement. That's not an emergency situation. There is no emergency there. And he, he addresses that very thing in this decision. And this is what he says. Listen to this. Has the service shown that not wearing a seatbelt and or making a U-turn under conditions existing on April 8, 2003, presented such a threat or of injury to grievant or others that the service was justified in using the emergency procedure? And here's how he defines it. And listen, listen closely, because this is what he says. Not using a seatbelt does not in and of itself present a threat of harm. It is intended to minimize risk of injury to the driver if the vehicle is involved in an accident. Making U-turn could present a risk of injury depending on the situations, but as evidence in the ordinance cited by the service, making U-turn does not per se constitute imminent danger. So he's telling you there, not using a seatbelt 
does not in and of itself present a threat of harm. So it's not an emergency situation. He goes on to state, It behooved the service to show, which it did not even attempt, that grievance actions presented such an imminent threat that she had to be taken off the clock immediately and denied the rights normally attended even in a discharge action. That's perfect. They had to show that the grievance action presented such an imminent threat that she had to be taken off the clock immediately. Management can never show that on these street blitzes or when they come out and they talk and they catch us without a seatbelt on or with our door open. It has to be shown that there's such an imminent threat that you had no option but to put me off the clock. My actions were so egregious that you had to put me off the clock. Management can't show that. So make sure that we are contending those things. If management comes out and they put one of your carriers off the clock and you get this 16-7 letter, the notification letter, and it says your actions are because you were found without your seatbelt on, blah, blah, blah. Make that contention that that's not an imminent threat to anybody. That's not an emergency situation. Anything like that. You have to contend those things. Let's do a better job of contending those things at this lower level, okay? Then we talk about the written charge. And I talked about, uh, I have an episode directly related to the charge where management has to give me a written notice of charges. That written notice, and listen to this. This is critical because we miss this a lot. That written notice of charges must define in detail what I have done that required management to put me off the clock immediately. If you tell me that this is a safety rule or regulation I violated, that doesn't tell me anything. Or if you say, Corey Walton, you had an at-fault accident on this date, and therefore you're put on emergency placement, that doesn't tell me anything. I need to know in detail what happened on the date. What did I do? That rarely ever happens, and we rarely ever raise that contention. I have two or three great sites that talk about that, and these are sites that you can use in your contentions. And two of them are from arbitrator Lawrence Roberts. And one of them is C number 30322. 30322. And this is what he states. Having reviewed the entire record and the testimony of all the witnesses, I'm at a loss myself as to just what it was that the grievant had done that led to him being put on EP. The letter he received placing him on EP states the action was taken due to your alleged unacceptable conduct, fabrication of records to receive pay while not actually performing work for the United States Postal Service. He says, but that does not say anything about what he did or when he did it. The union argued very convincingly that they were not given any specifics of the charge against the grievant. Therefore, it would have been impossible for the union to properly defend the grievant. Now, that's an arbitration that I did way back in 2012. And in my closing, that's what I did. I handed the arbitrator the emergency placement letter. And I said, Mr. Arbitrator, if you can tell me what happened, when it happened, how it happened, then I agree that that you should deny this grievance. But if you can't tell me any of those things, then you have to sustain the grievance because that's the the position that the union is put in. When you give me a charge, I have to be able to look at that charge and tell without a doubt, without question, what happened that led up to me being put on an emergency placement. If I can't tell that, then he violated the grievance due process rights. Here's another one. This is another case that I did. 
and this is more lengthy and I apologize, but this is another case that I did with the same issue. And this is the best language that you will find and one that we use all the time about the charge. If you say that I violated a safety rule or regulation, that must mean that there is a safety rule and regulation that I violated. So you need to tell me that on my charge. If you say that this is due to violation of safety rules and regulations, but you don't tell me the safety rule and regulation that I violated, then it's a violation of my due process rights because management, like I stated in an earlier episode, management, when they come to the formal A, will have five or six charges against you that you violated that are not on the 16-7 letter. The B team, they may add a couple of more. And when it gets to arbitration, you've got about eight provisions of handbooks and manuals that you violated and not a single one of them are cited on the 16-7 letter make that contention if management doesn't tell us what rule or provision was violated make that contention that they prohibited me from helping this man or this woman because they didn't tell me what rule or, or regulation that he violated that i needed to look up and study here's what he says however controlling in this matter is a 1990 national award authored by arbitrator Richard Mittenthal. Case number H4N3UC58637. And this is the language that's then 16.7. He said, I'd like to point out that I'm very familiar with this award regarding emergency placement. I've utilized arbitrator Mittenthal's reasoning in many of my prior decisions regarding this very same subject matter. In pertinent part, as it applies to the instant case that national award provides... The fact that no advance written notice is required does not mean that management has no notice obligation whatever. The employee suspended pursuant to Section 7 has the right to grieve his suspension. He cannot effectively grieve unless he is formally made aware of the charge against him. The reason why management has invoked Section 7. He surely is entitled to such notice within a reasonable period of time following the date of his displacement. To deny him such notice is to deny him his right under the grievance procedure to mount a credible challenge against management's actions. And here's what Arbitrator Roberts said about that. The Joint Contract Administration Manual also reiterates similar language. The key point in all of this is the fact that the grievance and or the union will be totally hindered without a formal written charge being presented, albeit in this case the emergency placement letter. Specifically to this case, the letter mentions only an alleged violation of safety rules. The document lacked any detail as to what specific safety rules were violated and failed to define any acts that were allegedly committed by the grievance. This is paramount. In my considered opinion, a written statement that only included an alleged violation of safety rules and nothing more clearly fails in meeting the criteria set forth by arbitrator Mittenthal. It is simply too broad of a definition that would allow either the union or the grievance to mount any type of defense or challenge. And in my considered opinion, the due process rights of the grievance were clearly violated in that regard. The emergency placement letter was simply too vague. It failed to clearly identify any specific charge or act the grievance had committed. That's beautiful, y'all. That's, that's, we've got to use that. He goes on. Arbitrator Mittenthal calls for the emergency placement letter to define the charge. In this case, there was no specific charge made, instead simply a very vanilla-type reasoning. 
and that lack of detail disabled the grievance or the union's ability to formulate any defense in this matter. And here's another thing that management always says. Hey, hey we told them in the II, Arbitrator Roberts talks about that. He says this, even though the grievant union may have received more information at the investigative interview, the employer in this case simply failed in committing any detail to written documentation in the form of an emergency placement document. Management should have been well aware of the demands of arbitrator Mittenthal. They have been in place for some 20 years. Regardless of the discipline or its degree, the notice letter sets the benchmark for each individual case. The employer is required to specifically outline in detail each charge which brought rise to the discipline. This provides the union with written notice as well as preventing management an opportunity to alter the charge as the case moves forward. This particular instance involved an alleged vehicle accident. According to the record in this case, the alleged accident occurred on 28th, April 2012. The date of the emergency placement letter was May 14th. Some two weeks had expired. And during that time, the employer would have been expected to provide the grievant with a detailed written explanation of the charge that resulted in the emergency placement. Arbitrator Mittenthal requires the grievant be formally made aware of the charge against him. The contents of the emergency placement letter in this case simply failed to meet that requisite standard. For the above reasons, there is no doubt the grievant was denied his due process rights. According, the emergency placement action is hereby vacated and the agreement shall be made whole for the period of time he was out of emergency placement. Now, here's the most important part of that decision. When he states this on page 11 of his decision, this provides the union with written notice as well as preventing management an opportunity to alter the charge as the case moves forward. That's the most important, critical language that you'll ever use in an emergency placement notice that has no contractual provision on it. That right there. Because a lot of times, even if there's contractual language on the emergency placement letter, you'll see some dumbass formal A from management. He's going to put seven or eight more provisions in there. And then the B team's going to do that as well. So when he talks about it forbids them from altering the charge as it moves forward, that language is critical. Make sure that if that emergency placement letter has no contractual provisions that we violated, that you make that contention. Make sure you do that. If you put me off on a safety rule or regulation, there has to be a safety rule or regulation that I violated, and that it should be on that emergency placement letter. Make that contention. If the emergency placement letter only states that I was in an at-fault accident, and was therefore put on emergency placement under the provisions of Article 16.7, then make that contention. It's too vague. It needs to be a detailed written notice, right? Going back to Arbitrator Duda in his decision, he talks about this as well. In his decision, he states this. On page 15, this is what he talks about. These actions, as well as others, talking on a cell phone or driving, or leaving a vehicle with the motor running, might warrant a predisciplinary investigation, which could lead to discipline under sections 3, 4, or 5 of Article 16. Just as the predisciplinary investigation of the April 2000 conduct resulted in a notice of proposed removal. However, the actions under those sections give the employee just cause protections. 
For example, they require an investigation in which the grievant is presumed innocent until the fact-finding determines otherwise and an express statement of charges in advance which the employee can address. Here, the emergency placement letter implied that the grievant had violated safety rules and regulations, but it did not specify any until the Step B decision, almost two months later. That's exactly what we are just talking about. Except in a true emergency situation, the service must state its specific charge and give the employee an opportunity to defend herself while still on the clock. So he talks about it as well. They hand out a charge. They don't put any provisions on there until the step B decision. That's a violation of our due process rights. We've got to start making that contention. All right? What have we gotten so far? Article 16.7, emergency procedure. It must be immediate. I read that language from National Arbitrator Mittenthal without any elapse of time. It has to be immediate. We've got to contend that. We've got to ask the carrier, who told you that you was on emergency placement? If it's nobody, make that contention that nobody told the carrier that they were on emergency placement. The charge. We have to have a very detailed charge on emergency placement. We have to. Because there's no investigation at the time, it's not a requirement. And so we have to have a very detailed charge as to what happened and what transpired that required this carrier to be put on emergency placement. If we don't have that, make that contention. And lastly, if you have a carrier, and I've dealt with this a lot, if you have a carrier that's been put on emergency placement and that carrier is still on emergency placement a month later, two, three, four, five, six months later, we've got to file a grievance on that. They are turning that emergency placement into an indefinite suspension. And we cannot allow that to happen. That is killing our brothers and sisters out there because they're off the clock for an extended period of time. You have to grieve that and make that contention that management has turned a 16-7 into an, into an indefinite suspension. I have a great site, and I use it all the time when I, ha- when I deal with this very thing. It's lengthy, and I apologize, but it's from, from arbitrator Nancy Hutt, and it's C32656, 32656. And this is what she says. And this is, this is dealing with a carrier that was on, <laughs> they, had, they had left him off the clock for six or seven months under 167. And this is what she says on page 10, she starts. A few Pacific regional arbitrators issued awards on emergency suspension delays under similar circumstances. Arbitrator Lumley found a violation of Article 16 when the service continued grievant in a non-pay status for 58 days with no justification for retaining him. Arbitrator Monat issued an award finding a violation of Article 16.7 stating, an emergency placement cannot be used as an indefinite suspension. Under Article 16.6a provides that an indefinite suspension may be only used in those cases where the employee has reasonable cause to believe an employee is guilty of a crime for which a sentence of imprisonment can be imposed. A much higher standard of just cause must be established in such cases. In the instant case, there is no allegation. Using Article 16.7 as the basis for an indefinite suspension is improper under the terms of the national agreement. One was not proposed, but management's failure to act to dispose of the 16.7 case 
the emergency placement has de facto become an indefinite suspension. She goes on, in yet another case, Arbitrator Monat ruled that the Postal Service cannot abuse the emergency placement of Article 16.7 by continuing an employee in a non-pay status indefinitely, which is analogous to a disciplinary indefinite suspension examined in Article 16.5 and 16.6 of the National Agreement. Arbitrator Armanderos, in a similar case, held the Postal Service did not violate Article 16.7 when the agreement was placed on an emergency suspension, but did, in fact, violate the national agreement when the employee was kept in a non-pay status for a lengthy and indefinite amount of time. Arbitrator Armanderos opined, Here, if the grievance actions rose to the level of misconduct, management had ample resources available for it to take corrective measures that would include disciplinary action under the guided provisions of Article 16. They do not intend for management to use the emergency placement procedures of Article 16.7 as a means for taking punitive suspension actions. This punitive suspension would not survive under Article 16.1. Thus, that was the effect of the emergency placement disputed in this case. The service apparently views the sentence in Article 16.7, the employee shall remain on the rolls until disposition of the case has been had, as giving management the absolute authority to suspend an employee indefinitely without any regard to any of the other provisions in Article 16, which are equally applicable and controlling. Such an approach is inconsistent with both the intent and spirit of the parties when they bargain for the language contained in Article 16, which are equally applicable and controlling. Finding a violation of Article 16.7, Arbitrator Armanderas ordered the Postal Service to make grievance whole for any wages and benefits he may have lost as a result of the indefinite suspension. Conclusion of the investigation. Up to the date, he is returned to duty. She goes on to state, Turning to the instant case, Manager Cluna's testimony concerning the service's reason for the excessive and unreasonable delay in issuing a termination letter does not alleviate management from complying with the mandates of Article 16.7. Grievance was continued in a non-pay status in excess of 30 days without management issuing discipline or returning him to work. The language in Article 16.7 includes the phrase, the employee shall remain on the rolls, non-pay status, until, until disposition of the case has been had. At the time of the arbitration hearing, grievance was still in a non-pay status for the foreseeable future, as there was no disposition of the case. Contrary to the service's contention that the union has no right to file a duplicate Article 16.7 grievance regarding the same issue, I point out the germane issue of just cause for the immediate emergency placement was resolved between the parties. The actual question before me raises the issue of whether the service's indefinite delay in the issuance of discipline and or notification to the agreement is a violation of Article 16.7. There is no convincing evidence to conclude that the parties negotiated the language the disposition of the case has been had with the intent management can place an employee on an emergency suspension for an unbounded amount of time. Clearly, management does not have an unfettered option or freedom continue grievance on an open-ended emergency suspension as was done here. To permit the Postal Service to take an unlimited amount of time to determine what action to take while keeping the grievance on an emergency suspension would run contrary to the presumption that an Article 16.7 has an ascertainable end 
an action that will bring the suspension to a close in a reasonable amount of time. Following the emergency placement and the completion of the pending Postal Service's investigation of the conduct that resulted in the suspension, management failed to initiate an administrative action. Grievant remained on an emergency suspension for approximately 10 months without communication or notification or discipline from management. As known and accepted by the parties, Article 16 requires that discipline be corrective rather than punitive. To retain grievance on an Article 16.7 for an unreasonable and excessive period of time resulted in a punitive action in violation of the national agreement. I'm sorry that was so long, but that is beautiful language when it talks about management placing one of our brothers and sisters on an indefinite 16.7 emergency placement. And we've got to grieve those things if that happens. So we've covered the immediacy of it. That's the biggest thing. That's the very first sentence. Make sure that we get those timelines right. We covered the charge. Make sure that the charge tells us in detail what has happened. We covered the term emergency. It has to actually be an emergency to put me in an emergency placement. It can't be just riding around with my seatbelt off. We covered length of time, 16-7, length of time. I hope this episode has helped y'all. I know that there was a lot to it. I hate long episodes because I feel like I lose your attention. But again, immediate, there has to be an emergency. That charge better tell me what they did in detail. And if they had me out there for an extended period of time, fry their ass up with a grievance on that, okay? And hey, I'm new at this, and Jay told me that I'm supposed to ask for, if you're listening, to subscribe, whatever that means. So subscribe. Leave a comment, uh, good, bad, indifferent. Leave a comment if it's too long, it's too short, or uh, if we talk too much or not enough or you don't want us to talk at all. Just leave a comment and uh, rate it, and I appreciate it. And we're going to continue to do this. There's going to be a lot of episodes, but uh, we're hoping that it's informative to our brothers and sisters. And so with that being said, y'all enjoy the rest of your day. I hope that y'all are doing great out there. Keep doing a great job, and I will see you on the next episode. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye.